lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here alongside Aaron McIntyre and Todd Erzin and all of you. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. You might have noticed today the return of hashtag Facebook approved takes. And this is my attempt to post information Facebook does not want me to share with you, but to post it with the regime approved narrative so that it slips past the censors and the algorithm. And it's actually been working fairly well for the last couple of months. So I needed to pull that uh, bat, that club out of the bag again this morning. And there you go. You can see it for yourself on our Facebook page right now. Follow me on Twitter at Steve Day Show and then Look for everything that we can't post anywhere else on MeWe, Parlor, Gab, and Getter. You can also get uncensored clips of this program on rumble.com slash Steve Day Show as well. And again, the last name is D-E-A-C-E. We have a jam-packed show today. Um, next hour, we're going to have one of the most important conversations we have had, given what's at stake and where we are now. I, I would say in, in my career. Uh, certainly in the history of this show, and we've had a lot of very important conversations, especially in the last uh, two years on this program. But again, given the, the critical juncture we are at with vaccine efficacy and mandates, the conversation we're going to have next hour, uh, it, it, it could be one conversation to rule them all, if I do my job, that is, because uh, he'll certainly do his. We'll tell you about that and everything else coming up on the program in a moment. But first, we have a very important announcement. Yesterday, we announced that we are seeking to raise money, uh, and I'm including myself. I've donated money myself out of my own pocket to this effort to once and for all try to get some answers to why this constant denial of early treatments. Since when did a pharmacy or a corporation believe that it had the ability to impose on your health care between you and your doctor, you and your health care provider, right? And so to that end, one of my best friends, a Marine, once stationed at Camp David to defend former president, the first former President Bush, who served, um, uh, who served in hostile territory in Somalia, who has run for Senate, who's run a family farm. Uh, he himself was stricken with COVID. Uh, it put him on his back for a week. Bill Salir is his name. You can uh, listen to yesterday's podcast, read more about it. There's a story at The Blaze today you can read about it as well uh, and his story. And he was able to get a prescription for the ivermectin cocktail and his local pharmacy, beginning with Walmart, refused to fill it. Somewhere along the line, we finally had to draw a line in the sand and say, this can't continue any longer. Too many people have been denied these early treatments. We need to find out once and for all. Do these things just not work or have they been killing people, frankly, uh, for the last year and a half? So to that end, we talked to both Bill Salir and our friend Brian Festa from WeThePatriotsUSA.org yesterday. And we asked you guys to join with us in putting up the money for a federal lawsuit that given appeals and everything else, who knows? It might get thrown out the first round. It might go all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. We don't know. But we wanted to have the money raised for this up front before we filed the complaint. Now, we just announced this less than 24 hours ago on this show. So, Brian, can you give us an update on where we stand? Yeah, sure, Steve. 
thank you, thank you, thank you. Your listeners responded in a huge way. Uh, Bill's lawsuit is fully funded. We are proud to announce that. We're very happy and excited. Uh, we are going to be putting up the full $50,000 for this lawsuit now. And it's thanks in huge part, not only to you, Steve, for donating, putting up the first 10%, but also to your very generous listeners who came came out in such a huge way. We actually smashed the goal, and we actually have funds now that we can put towards um, other efforts. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that, if I may. Sure. Because I know you're working, for example, with Project Veritas. So tell us about that, too. So we have another very uh, big litigation effort on our hands right now. Jody O'Malley, who was the uh, face, well, well, she's, I was about to say Facebook whistleblower. She was the whistleblower for the, that went undercover uh, in the hospital, the American Indian Hospital. Right. We played Arizona. that video on this show. Yes. Yeah. So she contacted us because she was placed on administrative leave. She's in danger of losing her job, and she's also being investigated by the Arizona State Board of Nursing, simply for revealing the truth, simply for revealing the truth that, um, you know, these shots are killing a lot of people and harming a lot of people. People are having adverse reactions. She released that footage, and now she's under intense scrutiny. We have put up $20,000 towards her pre-litigation efforts, but that's only leading up to court. She will need a lot more, um, and we intend to fully support her. It's our goal to fully support her all the way through court, anything she needs to do. We need to take a stand. As you're always saying, I love your slogan, truth be told. This is about standing up for truth and justice, and that's what We the Patriots USA does. So uh, for all of you who are donating, who have donated, um, who are continuing to donate, we thank you so much because we still need donations. Listen, I'm getting contacted just like you are by thousands of people every week from across the country. I've got a single mother of four children that just reached out to us. It's about her to lose her job because of these shot mandates. I've got a disabled veteran who works for Customs and Border Protection who also is facing. Now, he's 100 percent remote, Steve. 100% remote, but they're telling him he's going to lose his job um, if he doesn't get the shot. Science. I had, yes. Yeah, 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 that's the new science. Yep. I have, a, last night, just last night after the show, I spoke to a father of eight. He's got a ninth on the way, okay? He's in nursing school because he works as a patient tech, like a CNA at an, in an ER out in um, Kansas City. And he is about to to get kicked. He's one semester left. He's about to get kicked out of nursing school because he can't do his clinicals without the shot. These are the people that I'm telling right now that, listen, if we get the donations to come in, we can help you. But we rely exclusively on donations. So I thank you so, so much for sharing your platform a little bit with me. Um, it's been hugely helpful, not only for Bill's case, but for our organization. I would encourage people to continue sharing our website, wethepatriotsusa.org. Follow us on Telegram as well, We the Patriots USA. We for the litigation updates, because I know I can't come on here every day and give an update, okay? But if you want the update, subscribe to our email list on wethepatriotsusa.org and go to We the Patriots USA on Telegram, t.me forward slash We the Patriots USA for all of the latest updates about our litigation efforts, because we want to keep you informed. These people, you're putting your hard end earned money towards our organization and towards these litigation efforts, and um, we want to keep you in the loop. And we'll do that. We'll keep people updated on how Bill's case is progressing here uh, as well. And so when we get close to actually filing the claim and, the, and and this thing becomes official, we will have you guys back and and maybe a, alongside his local attorney there in Minnesota 
that will be representing him. And I think that's something there's been other, there's a couple of other places nationally do phenomenal. I've donated to them as well. What sets your operation apart from what I understand from watching how they've operated uh, is you guys look for local representation around the country uh, whenever possible. All right. Because that's the number one thing people are. Yeah. Yeah. People are struggling to find a local attorney. And so what happens is, I mean, I've known and I've, I've, I've known, I've liked, I love Matt Staver. I've known him for years at Liberty Council. But, man, he's running a one-man shop, you know, him and a few other attorneys there out of Liberty University. There's only so much bandwidth that they can possibly take. The approach you guys look for is to partner with local counsel there so that you can have your hand in more litigations at the exact same time. But those guys don't work for free. Uh, either you know a lot of these local attorneys they don't they aren't they don't belong to nonprofits like we the patriots usa or liberty council all right so this is how they feed their families uh and so they want to know hey if i put the hard-earned money in there if i put the hard-earned work in there is the money going to be there so um this is a great model that you guys have and if you want to continue to support them uh for their other litigation efforts uh we the patriots usa.org and brian will have you guys back soon to get an update now on what the next step is with bill's case all right god bless you man Thank, thank you so much, Steve. You bet. You guys have a quick thought on that? Uh, this is one of several fronts in something that is nothing short of a civil war that we have to win. Uh, uh, thank you for being such a bold soldier. Again, the, I can't stress enough what you said, Steve. The recruiting across the nation. No one should feel alone in this. You're not alone. And this is a sign right now. And a guy like Bill Salir leading a charge. Uh, there, there's so much hope out there. There's so much hope. If only we can hear each other's voices. Our audience is incredible. Yep. It, it really is. Because a show like this with three curmudgeons of varying degrees coming on and uh, and laying down the law every day and challenging you and calling you up and exhorting you and and sometimes encouraging you as well. It can be really, I imagine, from a listener's standpoint, I've had a few people that I bump into around town or in church say, yeah, I had to take a break from this show. But yet, and yet, despite our unique nature as a show, y'all just showed up like that. You crashed the website like that immediately. And then you're funding a case that I'm just going to tell you something I told Steve off the air yesterday. There, there's, there's, it's a win-win situation, this case is, if it, if it makes it to, to trial. Because here's what happens when you play offense like this. Either one, you don't get to play doctor if you're a pharmacist. You don't get to stand in the way of a patient and his doctor. That's one outcome. The other outcome is, okay. If you have a right to refuse as a pharmacist, uh, a carte blanche right to refuse as a car, as a pharmacist. All right. Every Christian pharmacist across the country don't have to prescribe or fill abortifacients anymore. Mm-hmm. Don't have to prescribe or fill, I should say, uh, any hormone blockers anymore. If that's the game now, this is what happens when we play offense. And y'all help that make, you, you, let's not say help. You made that happen. You made that happen. Listening and watching this right now. This is what happens when you play offense. More often than not, it's a win-win situation. We've had explosive growth in this show in the last two years. I, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to give you specific numbers, but it's, it's explosive. I mean, you're three, 400% growth of audience here. But, you know, we were all ecstatic last week when we hit the top 50 overall on iTunes, right, is what it was last week. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think we were like 50th or 53rd or something. 
um, we were like ecstatic, you know, because that's, that's, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, Ben Shapiro is in the fetal position if he's ranked 50th on iTunes. We were just, we were all sitting here, you know, like, you know, how many more helmet stickers do we give each other? You know, so we are a growing show, but this is still by and large a modest audience by comparison to a lot of the other names, you know, and this year, you guys in this audience, you produced a number one best selling book in the entire country. In the entire country. And you may have just funded the lawsuit that has a potential to find the thermal exhaust port on the COVID stand Death Star. I mean, we just, you guys are incredible. And we can't thank you enough. And that's, that is why we challenge you. Because we think and we know you can do it. We can do this. If we thought that this was just about selling widgets and units and books and things of that nature, then we'd just come in and do a theoretical show about large conservative themes, you know, pimp our wares and go home. We wouldn't try to get you to this state of activism. But, you know, I'm not 65 and a millionaire. I'm not on 300 radio stations. I've not been, you know, the Talkers Magazine number one star. I've never even been on the New York Times bestseller list. I'm 47 with three teenagers, well, a young adult and two teenagers, thinking about the future and what the world's going to look like for my grandkids here in a couple of years. And I, I, I would love the luxury and the temptation of, of making this just about the, set, the peddling of wares and widgets. But unfortunately, the brink that the culture is on right now, I don't, I don't have that ability. I'm not, I don't have, we don't have time for that. And just to see how you guys have responded, I just, I'm blown away. And... I've talked to Bill last night when we got the news. He's blown away. I mean, he just can't even believe it, you know. So, guys, he's an Iowa farmer. $50,000 to him is a life-changing amount of money. And just to see that come through in hours, really. Um, thank you. And now? Now watch what a Marine does yes. with that money behind and, him. And, watch and, what and, a Marine and, does. And now, hopefully, there will be blood. Yes, <laughs> yes. Hey, how much equity do you have in your home? Don't find out the hard way. You know, the computer service, you ever wonder where's all that money go, by the way? All that money we give to the government all the time, you know, the servers, the computer services, servers at the Social Security Administration, they're 45 years old. The computer servers at uh, HHS are 50 years old. I mean, I don't know, like every American's data is only kept there, right? It's not, no, no big hassle, all right? Maybe that's how those things get hacked and cyber criminals are able to get a hold of what's uh, the U.S. Census Bureau's information, uh, where everything about us is, is stored. And maybe you've got identity theft protection, so it's not a huge risk for you, but your home is still at risk from home title theft because now they've got the information they need to go online, claim to be you, forge your signature on a quick claim deed, steal your home's equity, and then sometimes, oftentimes really, you don't even find out until you go to access it or that day you go to the mailbox and the letters you never want to see begin to arrive. To make sure this doesn't happen to you, check out our friends at Home Title Lock. Right now you can register your address to see if you're already a victim and use the promo code RADIO for 30 free days of protection. That's the promo code RADIO. With 30 free days of protection, when you go to HomeTitleLock.com, Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com and use the promo code RADIO. All right, I mentioned we are jam-packed today. Next hour, 
maybe the biggest badass in America is going to join us. Dr. Peter McCullough will be here live. Until 2020, he was one of the most decorated, cited, respected cardiovascular heart experts in America. Now, now, man, he's Mon Mothma of the Rebel Alliance. Now, how did this happen? Because he just stuck with the same science he was doing pre-COVID and watched as a bunch of his peers around him decided, you know, the, the Iron Cross goes good with the actual cross of Christ here in the Third Reich. So let's just, you know, put them both around our necks while we're at it. And he's the guy standing athwart history saying, ah, oh, hell no. He's going to join us next hour, and we're going to try to get answers to questions that we have posed and prompted on this program that I know a lot of you want to get answers to. That's coming up. Also, Pop Culture Tuesday at the bottom of this hour. Uh, we are going to finish our discussion about Midnight Mass. And boy, howdy, the reaction in my email I have gotten from this. It is a highly divisive program, High, which is good. It, it, it provokes a lot of strong opinions. Todd, you had some things you wanted to discuss that you thought needed to be, that merited further exploration. So we'll do that here at the bottom of the hour. I have a couple, but I want to hear some of these questions Well, too. a lot of them are range from, I can't believe you guys wanted us to watch this, to this is the greatest thing I've ever huh. seen. I mean, it it is... It's a powerful show. Didn't say it was orthodoxy. Did I ever claim that? No. I didn't say it was uplifting. Did I say that? No, but it is potent. So we'll get to that at the bottom of the hour. But first, delayed, but never denied. Here's Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Punching Back Again. But first, a couple of dispatches from across the pond. A new study by the UK government finds natural immunity from a previous COVID infection offers just as good outcomes against the Delta variant as those who were double jabbed. The Office for National Statistics in the UK found unvaccinated Britons who caught the Delta variant are 71% less likely to test positive for a second time than those who are unvaccinated and hadn't caught COVID. No word from the study, however, on the waning efficacy of the vaccines. Speaking of the UK, however, and waning efficacy, the most recent surveillance report of COVID deaths from the country finds deaths within 60 days of a positive test between weeks 37 and 40 shows the unvaccinated accounted for 20% of those deaths, while the vaccinated with one or two doses accounted for 80% of the deaths in that window. Southwest Airlines has scrapped its plans to put unvaccinated staff on unpaid leave starting in December. Apparently, the meteorological forecast was looking pretty bad. Country music star Travis Tritt announced yesterday he's no longer going to be performing at venues requiring proof of vaccination to attend. The head coach of Washington State University football, along with four of his assistants, have been fired by the school for refusing to comply with the state mandate for vaccinating all state employees. Nick Rolovich and his assistants faced a Monday deadline to get vaccinated, and they said no. Speaking of Washington State, a state trooper there of almost 17 years signed off for the final time recently. The voice of the dispatch operator you hear is his wife, who's also quitting her job over the state's vaccine mandate. Due to my personal choice to take a moral stand against for medical freedom and personal choice, I will be signing out of service for the last time today. After nearly 17 years of serving the citizens of the state of Washington, it has been my honor and privilege to work alongside all of you. But as for me, I am out of service and on to new adventures. On behalf of your D5 coworkers, I want to say you've been a pleasure to work with for the last 
almost 17 years. I'm honored to have been your dispatcher, but mostly proud to be your wife. Our future is bright. Thank you so much for your service, 110. And thank you for yours and for being by my side. Cumulus radio host Dan Bongino has given his network an ultimatum. Imagine the countless number of individuals trying to explain to these companies ever thought of that. The countless numbers of moms and dads who are sitting at some kitchen table explaining to their kids how they may have to move out, how daddy doesn't have a job because a bunch of people in a C-suite thought it'd be a good idea to sit around and play pretend Dr. Fauci for a moment and mandate people jam something in their bodies that they don't want to take. I'm not leaving any of those guys behind. You can have me or you can have the mandate. But you can't have both of us. These service members are taking a stand. My name is Noah Sturgis Johnson. My name is Stratton West. My name is Lucas Jeffers. My name is Ryan Lovell. I'm a specialist in the United States Army. I'm a petty officer third class in the United States Navy. I am a corporal in the United States Marine Corps. I'm a sergeant in the United States Marine Corps. Due to the new order of the COVID-19 vaccine, I will potentially be discharged for denying the COVID-19, for refusing the COVID-19 vaccine. The Chicago Police Union estimates over 3,000 of its officers are expected to defy the city's vaccine mandate. That accounts for about a third of that city's police department. Lori Lightfoot, your thoughts? What we've seen from uh, the Fraternal Order of Police, and particularly the leadership, is a lot of misinformation, a lot of half-truths, and frankly flat-out lies in order to induce an insurrection. Speaking of a bloody insurrection, BuzzFeed News obtained new surveillance footage of the Capitol from January 6th. What you're about to see is extremely disturbing. You demonize and then you, it, we call it the wrap-up smear. If you want to talk politics, you call it the wrap-up smear. You smear somebody with falsehoods and all the rest, and then you merchandise it. And then you write it, and they'll say, see, it's reported in the press that this, 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 and this... So they have that validation that the press reported the smear, and then it's called the wrap-up smear. Now I'm going to merchandise the press's report on the smear that we made. And it's, it's a tactic, and it's, it's, it's self-evident. At the White House, Press Secretary Jen Psaki was asked about China's supposed hypersonic nuclear missile. We welcome stiff competition, but do we, not, we don't, do not want that competition to veer into conflict. Checking in on Joe Biden. I tell you what. I would like to learn it. Let's do that. Don't come again. Fed Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell sold more than a million dollars worth of stock from a personal account right before the Dow Jones tanked last October. That's according to reporting by the American Prospect. WAPO op-ed, don't rant about short-staffed stores and supply chain woes. Try to lower expectations. Pronouns update. Hi, my name's Jasper. I use they at pronouns. Hi, my name is Liana. I use they demon pronouns. For the demon pronouns, it would be Liana is my partner, Deem is cute, and I belong to Deem. I love Demon very much, and I hope Dean loves Demon's self, too. And finally, this headline from the Babylon Bee. Moloch announces forcing your kids to become transgender is acceptable form of sacrifice. And that's what happened while we were away. You know, you got a million reasons to be stressed out these days, and you probably just saw a thousand of them in that montage. My gosh. It's Tuesday, right? Um, hey, don't let male pattern baldness or receding hairlines or your demon self 
on TikTok. Be one of them. Now, Keeps really can't help you with the demon self thing, but the other two they can. Um, and they do so with generic versions uh, of hair loss treatments, so you get the the cheaper costs. And then they do it all, all, all online, so you don't have to leave your home. You can snap a few pics of your hair, answer a few easy questions, and then a licensed physician will recommend the right FDA-approved hair loss treatment for you. And then they offer you uh, even bigger savings on the back end with your very first offer, half off. 50% off your very first offer, half off your first order when you go to keeps.com slash grow. That's K-E-E-P-S for keeps.com slash grow. Save save money all the time with the generics. Save time all the time with it all online. And then save even more money the first time. Half off your first order at keeps.com slash grow. There's, there's so much we could discuss in the overtime there, but... Let's face it, a lot of this is things we could discuss almost every other day, given what's going on in the culture right now. And I thought it was important today for us to highlight at a time that a lot of us, a lot of you, just got news that your heating bills are going to be 30 to 50% higher. Went to the grocery store with the wife yesterday. I mean, ground beef was like seven or eight bucks a pound. It's crazy. Okay. Um, I, I know for, you know, a lot of people in this audience, 50 bucks, 100 bucks, 20 bucks. I mean, <laughs> that's a lot of money right now. And to see you guys show courage in ponying up for this lawsuit, I thought it was important for us to lead off with with that attaboy inspirationally. So let us close with one, if you don't mind. I've known Dan Bongino for several years. We were colleagues together at CRTV. A lot of you probably didn't know who Dan Bongino was prior to his pioneering work on Russian collusion. You know, when Dan was first breaking that story down, if I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, wasn't he originally doing it from a podcast in a room in his house? If I remember right. I think that's right. Or they were Facebook Lives or something like that when he started. You know why? Because he was doing a program with the NRA. That went belly up because of all the turmoil going on within the NRA. And... You know, outside of some fill-in gigs gigs for Mark Levin, we're not talking that long ago, guys. Like 2016, 2017, or prior to Trump's election. So 2015, 2016. I mean, you know, Dan was like a lot of us in this business trying to carve out a space for himself. And now you could argue he's argue he is he is perhaps the biggest star in our industry. He has a top five podcast. On top of that, now he is on depending on how you measure it, one of the two, it's either the first or second, depending on your unit of measurement, um, biggest radio corporations in this hemisphere. And he's got a show on Fox News, which is the biggest platform of them all in conservative media. Is that good? Pretty good. That's pretty good. And it wasn't too long ago that Dan Bongino could remember. Dan Dan isn't, I'm a grizzled veteran. I've made millions doing this for 20, 30 years. No. Five years ago, man, he was schlepping, looking to see where, where am I going to fit in here. Tried running for Congress. And now that he's arrived, man, the temptation to, he, he's fought cancer. He's got a family. If, if anybody in our business would be tempted to say, man, I just arrived here. I'm I'm just going to play this one out and not take a risk. It would probably be him. Right? Wouldn't you think? Could be. Instead, he didn't do that. 
He put it on the line yesterday for his coworkers who don't have the voice in the platform that he does. For all of us that don't have the voice in the platform that he does. And that's why he became arguably the biggest star in our movement the last couple of years. Because when he got a chance to go on Fox, he said the things that you've always wanted people to say on Fox News, but they never previously allowed. And when they gave him Rush Limbaugh's time slot and several hundred radio stations, he said the things that you wanted the next generation to say in their own way, but nobody else was with a platform of that magnitude. For him to risk that, and by the way, because of his cancer, he got vaccinated early on. He's making this point strictly out of, out of a moral principle here. It doesn't benefit him at all. There's no greater love than this. That's right. This is, this is purely a, a, a sacrifice, of, a potential sacrifice of great financial depth in order to make a moral point. And... For somebody like me who's still kind of schlepping and trying to find my place in this business and to see if I can be successful ultimately without having to compromise any real core principles, I believe, I'm just damned impressed on a, on a professional level with what he has accomplished. But now just knowing him as a man and what he is doing here, I just, I'm just damned impressed at that courage. Not impressed with the lack of courage of some of his of some of his own peers who have been strangely silent in the last 24 hours since Dan threw the gauntlet down. Yes, they have. No names mentioned here. But there's some people that have been eerily silent. As I was saying, though, before we move on to Pop Culture Tuesday, it wasn't too long ago that Dan Bongino was trying to find his place in the conservative media and movement universe. He now is arguably its biggest star. And the challenge that he put down on his corporation yesterday, Cumulus, the 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 gauntlet that he threw down may you know what may his house increase evermore i'm inspired when i see guys that didn't give the system an inch get successful that gives me hope that maybe that maybe we can get a piece of that at some point mm-hmm. and we've had we've had a little piece a little slice of that earlier this year sure. with that book obviously but it's that kind of courage. It's that kind of courage that is going to be required for the times in which we live. I saw something Ned Ryan at American Greatness tweeted out just a little while ago. That, the, that courage is basically st- what's standing in the way between us and we're at the brink, we're at the, we're at the cliff of history now. We're at the brink of it. And courage is what's standing between us going over that cliff or not. And I agree. I agree with that. I mean, ultimately, it is revival or bust. But you know one of the things that inspires revivals? Courage does. When that little, when that little monk 
jumped out of the stands in the Roman Colosseum aghast at the depravity going on there with the gladiator games and was killed in cold blood for what he did. But the courage he showed in doing it is what ultimately spurred Rome into doing away with these gruesome carnivals. The courage that was shown during the civil rights movement, the willingness to defy Jim Crow, the willingness to face head on the high pressure water hoses, the lynchings, the courage of the disciples to face, to count it all joy, to suffer for the name. The courage of Mother Teresa takes on going to a Calcutta, defying an entire nation, its culture and its caste system. Those sorts of things, when people see those acts of courage, they inspire. And you know, another word for revival, a synonym for revival, by the way, is inspiration. And a synonym for inspiration is revival. So I can't do it here because I'm mic'd up. If I could, man, I would stand and applaud what Dan Bongino did. And I would do less than that to too many of his peers who have said nothing in recognition of what he has done. Nothing. Maybe because they're ashamed, realize they should have done it. They still could. But nothing. And now is where I probably need to stop talking because this is when I start naming names and make everybody really uncomfortable. And I don't want to do that. I don't have a problem with it. But if I start doing that, it draws others into the line of fire that didn't ask for that smoke, right? Yeah. So I'll let it go now. But, I mean, Dan has just set a tremendous example. And I'm just proud to know him for what he did. All right, let's get to Pop Culture Tuesday. Brought to you by our friends over at Built Bar. They, they sent me a goodie bag yesterday in the mail to try out a brand new flavor they're about to launch. Blueberry muffin. I just tried it during the break. How much do I like blueberries, Todd? Well, you named a fictional ice cream that you wanted turned yes. into reality after it. Yeah, yes. Yeah, be- before they just went, I, I was going to put up with them being communists because I really don't think they believe in their communism because of how damn expensive their ice cream is. But then when they went full-bore anti-Semitic communist, that's when I stopped entering the Ben & Jerry's, you know, uh, invent your own flavor contest. But every year I entered it for many years, I had the same flavor based in blueberry. How much I love blueberries. Okay, blueberry pancakes. I love blueberries. I absolutely love the new blueberry muffin built bar that I just tried for the first time. So I'm not sure when it's available yet to the Gen Pop. I know chocolate chip cookie dough is back, though, and nothing beats that. All right, so if you want the best protein bar of all time, and hey, cookies and cream, mint brownie, whatever you're looking for, they've got it at Built Bar. Uh, low in sugar, low in carbs, low in calories, big in protein, bigger even in taste. Use my last name as your promo code DACE when you go to Built.com, B-U-I-L-T, for Built.com, promo code DACE for Built.com. All right, let's get to Pop Culture Tuesday. And I shared a lot of my thoughts on Midnight Mass, which is one of the biggest shows that's aired on Netflix this year. It is phenomenal. Now, it is not for everybody. Okay? And if, and if you're like a lot, my email is so divided on this from 
It was brilliant. I didn't agree with it, but I thought it was smart. I didn't feel like it was condescending me. And so I appreciated the points it was trying to make, even if I didn't necessarily agree with it. That's kind of my position. And as I pointed out last week, it does give a, a pretty overt, after, after being disappointed in, in vessels of Christianity throughout the series, at the very end, it is Christianity which causes the town to realize that they have to, they, they can't go on with this calamitous sin that they've all agreed to uh, and sacrifice themselves, right? They're singing the hymn at the end. Yeah. The couple that's the true believers are the ones that don't give in to their desires while everybody else around them does, right? right? We had that conversation last week. But then there's another half of the audience in my inbox is like, this is too far gone. I can't go there. It's too dark. Don't blame anybody for that take either because it is all of those things. But you've got a couple of things that you wanted to highlight before we uh, we, we say goodbye to this series. So go ahead. Well, at least a couple. But uh, one we already addressed off air, and which is why you decided to do this again. What theologically do you think the creators were doing when at the, I think it's in the last episode, both instances, but when the, 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 the demon, angel, vampire, what, whatever you call it, was uh feasting on humans Mm -hmm. in two cases uh one the the demon is being shot Mm -hmm. and the other one one of the heroines who is being devoured at the time is cutting the demon's wings so they can't reach the mainland but in both cases the demon can't be bothered Mm -hmm. he's I, what is he saying about the wages uh, in my the wages of sin that the, the 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 demon seems drunk the demon seems incapable of defending itself because of how insatiable it is what theological statement do you think was being made with that oh i think you just made one and one assessment yourself and i had a different one when you first asked me and then i heard yours which is what you just said and i really liked yours all right that that given over to our own carnal basic instincts, we just, there can be no self, there's, there's no self-awareness by this being whatsoever to his surroundings or the fact that giving himself over to this insatiable desire is ultimately leading to his own destruction, right? That's kind of what you're getting at, right? Yeah. I, I took it another way, although I really like your point too. Uh, I took it another way, whereas evil viewed viewed these human beings as so beneath them so beneath it from a threat level standpoint that that it just that we were so trivial that they just were like I, i'm I, i'm i'm not in a, you can't i can't be bothered i'm not i, I mean I, the the hammer isn't distracted you know by uh, by the nail it just pounds on it right okay um, the windshield isn't distracted by the bug. The bug is distracted by the windshield here. I'm not, I'm not, I don't move for you. I'm not, even your attempts to come after me because they're based in your own flesh. Mm-hmm. There's no power behind it. It's just based in your own humanness that it's just, you're so over your skis here. You've so out punted, out kicked your coverage that this is on a different cosmic level of, of battle beyond what you even comprehend or or think you're you're too smart to acknowledge. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just, I, you know, I won't even stop to even laugh. I'm just going to continue on with with my with my Thanksgiving feast, basically. Yeah, I, I think even it shows even when we are most ag- aggressively 
in our sin, at least to outward appearances, we are, we are in fact being the most slothful. And I think this is actually a bit of an homage indirectly or directly to Dante's Inferno when they get to the, the final circle. Yes. And the devil is encased in ice. He yes. can't be because it's ultimately his disregard of God is just is chaotically slothful. It's it's just not giving yourself over to the obvious goodness of the universe. Second thing, I'm very curious as the Catholic. I was constantly parsing everything uh as a Catholic. And and when I looked up this is an ex-Catholic uh who says he has a had a he doesn't have any particular acts to grind it didn't mm-hmm. like he wasn't treated poorly or anything like that but as at, from your perspective and maybe from what you're reading was this was this a guy with just a vampire fetish who created this who happens to be an ex-catholic and this is all he knew or did he more expressly choose catholicism uh, to use this because of the eucharist and its obvious ability to do what he did there or is this was your mind is was this a very Catholic telling instead of just being a vehicle for telling a broadly Christian movie. I think it's probably a little bit of all those things, but as a guy who's, who's a professional writer drawing on your own experiences or what your own knowledge basis is produces the best content because you're speaking with more personal authority of the matter at hand. And, you know, you and I have theorized for years that one of the reasons why it's not just that there's, because a lot of them are lapsed Catholics, but one of the reasons why when Christianity is depicted in film, it's often depicted in ornate or Catholic ornate Catholic forms or liturgies. It's just from a, from a cinematic standpoint, that just comes off with more of a presence than just a guy standing up there in a button down short sleeve shirt and khakis, you know, going expositional line by line, like some kind of Protestant megachurch, right? Mm-hmm. That there's a certain... There's a certain ceremonial aspect that that gives on a, on a screen the event more of a gravitas than just if you walked in on a Sunday at a, at a lot of Protestant churches and people came in and heard the message and went home, right? But I also think this comes from his own experience growing up Catholic. It's clear that the young man who is who's the who's the drunk driver and you think you think at the beginning of the of the show is the lead character. It's clear that that is him. That that's a lot of his own story, his mm-hmm. own journey. That that character is an archetype of the author, and you know, I read a fascinating review of this series from Vox, notoriously left-wing communist and God-hating website. They hated this show, and the reason why they hated the show is because they felt like they were set up. They felt like this was streaming toward uh, careening towards a place where they were going to do a massive takedown of Christianity at the very end, and instead. They got their their disposition was that this guy actually revealed if there really was true Christianity, like what I heard in the sermons, but I didn't see modeled in my churches. If that really existed, it actually would be the antidote to this kind of stuff. And they were disgusted by that, that they thought that he didn't finish the job, that he he went right up to the line and then kind of punked out and said, you know, just in case this Christianity thing is true, I'm going to leave it a little bit of door for the light to shine through. That was kind of Vox's reading of the program. And I can't we did talk touch on this a little bit with the now here's a guy though who just converted to catholicism mark bongard's his name he converted catholicism um within the last year from episcopalian he says he thought the series was far more anti-catholic than todd does todd does uh and he and and he goes in fact i still come in with as a former episcopalian with some of my own doubts about certain uh catholic traditions and things of that nature 
Um, but he viewed that a lot of this was done as a takedown of a lot of those rituals and rites and liturgies is what he kind of viewed it as. Interesting. What do you think? Why do you think? I mean, it obviously cinematically works, but waiting until the end for the priest, for all of us to understand that there was a, you, I, I didn't, I didn't see that coming at all with the, the priest being the father yes. of uh, that woman. Mm-hmm. What do you think, again, beyond cinematic, oh my gosh, that was cool. What statement, because then right after he tells that story, he he, he talks about, this is supposed to be a hospital for sinners. All sinners, everybody is welcome. Mm-hmm. What do you think was he was trying to trigger by that kind of aha moment instead of fleshing it out further and dropping hints well if you believe as mark does he could have this could just be a high-minded takedown of the the restriction of celibacy for priests okay so another clear attempt to attack some form of catholic ritual all right um i i guess i just watched this show and maybe it's because i'm not catholic i watched it but I'm I'm a fairly I'm fairly knowledgeable about Catholicism from a non-Catholic point of view. You would say, yeah. right? Un, not uninformed is maybe fair. I guess I just saw it from a total meta level. I saw that the priest had unconfessed sin in his life all these years, and then and then was trying to atone for his own sinfulness, rather than actually following the very liturgy and rituals that he gave his life to mm-hmm. preach that he didn't actually seek confession. He didn't actually seek redemption and restoration. And then use this dark angel as a means of essentially atoning for his own sin by having a chance to relive his own life again. And taking his own, this was, I took it as GB like God. He took matters into his own hand. He fashioned his own fig leaf and it came at a cosmic cost to this community. I totally agree with you. I was not threatened about this, about uh, celibacy, at all i think it was about we are uh, uh, the whole point of this thing is putting our sins before god not to have exceptions and he's talking to everybody then and obviously we have interesting tribal issues these days in terms of which sins we give a pass to and which ones we think are particularly uh harsh and all of us do that to some level nope all of it goes on the table in there it's a phenomenal series now it is not for everyone okay that that is absolutely true but if you can get through it, it's one of the smartest takes on human nature and religion I've ever seen produced in modern mm-hmm. mainstream Hollywood. All right. We'll come back. America's biggest badass, Dr. Peter McCullough, will be joining us next. We're back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, and all of you. I do not want to delay. Um, Let's tell you about the guest we're about to speak to. Uh, Of course, we gave him our entire show a week ago Monday. Uh, We played and reacted to a recent presentation he gave about COVID-19 and the vaccines. The amount of reaction we got to that was tremendous from all over the country. But I I have here his biography from USC. And one one of the top private universities in America. And in the recognition paragraph, here's what it says. Dr. Peter McCullough received the International Vicenza Award for Critical Care Nephrology for his outstanding work and contribution in the area of cardiorenal syndromes. 
He has also been a recipient of the Simon Dack Award from the American College of Cardiology, and his works have appeared in the New England Journal of Medicine, Journal of the American Medical Association, and other prestigious journals worldwide. He has been an invited lecturer at the New York Academy of Sciences, the National Institutes of Health, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, the European Medicines Agency, and the U.S. Congressional Oversight Panel. As we said last week when we played his presentation, he was considered one of the preeminent and most respected experts in this field prior to COVID. And now, of course, because he's maintained the same standards of scientific excellence post-COVID, they want to cancel him. Thankfully, though, that gives us an opportunity to speak with him now here on the show. And uh, Dr. McCullough, first of all, thank you on behalf of millions of people around the country for refusing to back down uh, and taking a stand and trying to save lives. Um, We just appreciate you and everything you've done. In fact, we're interrupting you right now as you're caring for patients. So we're going to try to take up the least amount of your time as we possibly can. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me. I'm actually at home, but I'm taking telemedicine calls today. And it's the new medicine of doing telemedicine is as busy as it's ever been in the office. Well, we have six questions, Peter, that that our audience needs to get answers to. And there's nobody better to ask these questions of than you. Okay, so let's start with sort of a big picture question. Who should be getting vaccinated for covid right now? I can tell you as an internist and cardiologist, I practice medicine, take care of patients every day. And like you, Steve, I'm a University of Michigan graduate. I went to the University of Michigan School of Public Health. Every doctor and every patient together weigh out the risks and benefits of every medical intervention, including vaccination. And uh, when the vaccines came out of the clinical trials, the COVID-19 vaccines, the FDA and the vaccine manufacturers agreed And the human ethics committees agreed that COVID recovered patients, suspected COVID recovered patients, those with positive antibody tests, pregnant women and women at childbearing potential, all would be excluded from getting the COVID-19 vaccines, as well as those with severe immune compromise. And so I follow the clinical trials strictly, and I would never recommend or utilize a drug that wasn't tested in clinical trials, placebo-controlled clinical trials, in a patient it with a brand new product. And so at this point in time, I've been in general not recommending or uh, um, or uh, supporting the COVID-19 vaccines uh, for patients once we became it became clear that the safety of the vaccines uh, was not what we thought it was. And about 70% of my patients took the vaccines in December, January, and February, and March. By the time we got to April, the U.S. rates of vaccination started to plummet because we saw um, concerning safety signals for mortality, hospitalizations, and permanent injury after the COVID-19 vaccines. So are you not recommending that any of your patients get this vaccine then at the moment? At this point in time, we have even worsening data, Steve, that the vaccines are not working fully in individuals. So our CDC, as of October 12th, has told America that there are over 30,000 Americans who have been fully vaccinated, who have either hospitalized or died. And of that composite, 23% are deaths. And sadly, 87% of the deaths uh, and 67% of the hospitalizations are in those over age 65. Most of my patients are over age 65. And at this point in time, the vaccines appear to be failing against the Delta variant. 
And uh, again, the safety uh, concerns are astronomical. We have over 16,000 deaths after the vaccines, 250,000 hospitalizations, urgent care visits, and office visits, and sadly, over 20,000 Americans permanently disabled after the vaccines. So I'll take the next vaccine question on a case-by-case basis, uh, but right now I, I don't think any doctors in my circles can can give a, a full-throated recommendation for them. All right, question two. What is the benign explanation, doctor, for this zealous desire to pounce on, discredit, or if that doesn't work, just flat out uh, totally ignore absolutely anything that shows any promise whatsoever for a potential early treatment for COVID. What's the benign explanation for this? I think the benign explanation is just a strong preference by the stakeholders, the CDC, the NIH, the FDA, and the White House task forces of two administrations now, the strong preference for a vaccine-only strategy to manage the pandemic. And when I mean vaccine only, meaning that's really the only thing the government is going to strongly support to handle the pandemic. Why? What's the the benign explanation for that? (laughs) Well, I mean, you'd have to ask them. I mean, it was obvious Operation Warp Speed was a massive investment of development uh, investment as well as commercialization investment. And now we've had nearly a year of the public program. Uh, you know, private offices aren't administering the vaccines. The vaccines are not sold as a commercial product. Uh, they're offered uh, in vaccination centers, which have been largely empty since April. People have been very reluctant to take the vaccine once the data on death and injuries came out. And uh, it's it's uh, simply been a, a one-horse show. Take the vaccine as the only suggested action for COVID-19. Question three. Along those same lines, what is the benign explanation for the wanton or willful disregard slash ignoring of natural immunity? There's a study out, official study actually from this morning from the UK, a government study uh, that found at, at the very least natural immunity was at least as effective over there as vaccinated immunity and maybe lasted longer because of the waning efficacy of the vaccines what is it that's going on in our medical culture and government that there just is either no acknowledgement of this or they want to disregard it? You know, I disagree with those findings of that study. Uh, my interpretation of the data is that SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 has immunity very similar to SARS-1, which is permanent and complete immunity, just like chicken pox and mumps. Well, once we get these illnesses, we don't get them a second time. So I think there's a negligible risk. The only thing that's out there that's confusing people is the false positive PCR. People, uh, once they have COVID-19, they can intermittently test positive on the PCR test for months afterwards. I've had some patients test positive 17 Mm -hmm. times. They don't have 17 cases of COVID. They just had one case of COVID. So I think the immunity is basically permanent. It's a one and done phenomenon. And so of course, with that scenario, it's infinitely better than the vaccines. The vaccines have had wholesale failure in Israel, as an example. The Israeli health ministry has Pfizer, even with boosters, at 39% effective. So does the Mayo Clinic. They had 42% for Pfizer protection against hospitalization and death. Moderna's a little better, over 70%. But the vaccines have largely failed compared to natural immunity. I mentioned the CDC having 30,000 well-documented vaccine failures, 30,000 in the hospital or died. They don't have a single well-documented case of natural immunity failure, not a single case.
then why do they want to deny natural immunity, Dr. McCullough? Why? The, the denial of na natural immunity is uh, a method by getting the, is a method to get the entire population vaccinated. And that seems like a strong desire. So if they accepted natural immunity, then there would be, um, uh, you know, a giant fraction of people who would never take the vaccine. Uh, in the paper by Block and colleagues in the British Medical Journal, September 17th, by May, we had 120 million people who have already had COVID-19. 44% of those age um, uh, 18 to 49. So if we follow natural immunity, that means a large segment of America never takes the vaccine. What it means now, since 60% of Americans have taken the vaccine, 80% of seniors, that means we've actually unnecessarily vaccinated a large number of people in the United States. Question four, let's talk variants. Is Delta uniquely bad? Are variants getting worse? How is it possible that in September of 2021, cases were 216% higher and deaths were 153% higher than they were in September 20 before we started, or 2020, before we started vaccinating. If you look at the first week of October, Dr. McCullough, we had 93% more cases, 97% more deaths than we did in October 2020 before we started vaccinating as well. How do we explain that kind of data? The vaccines created a very narrow immunity in a large number of people. So the vaccines weren't targeted. When the vaccines came out, I always thought that we would have uh, maybe 5, 10, or 20 million people vaccinated, basically nursing home residents and nursing home workers. They were the ones who needed um, the vaccination. There weren't any other major outbreaks. There were never any student outbreaks or major hospital outbreaks. So because the vaccines were over-applied, we um, basically created way too many people with the same immunity. And so that promoted the emergence of the Delta variant. We always had, uh, you know, six to 12 different variants. Now we have a single dominant strain, Delta 99% of cases, and it thrives in the vaccinated. And in two papers, one by Rimerisma, the other one by Acharian, clearly show large viral loads in Americans with Delta, similar to that to unvaccinated. And in multiple studies, Chow, uh, Fahrenholt, um, uh, Louiu, uh, all show that uh, the Delta variant is, is carried and transmitted by the vaccinated. So vaccines have basically made the pandemic worse. And the Delta curve in Israel, as an example, a highly vaccinated country, is far worse than the pre-vaccination curve. The same thing is true in Iceland, Gibraltar, uh, anywhere where vaccines have been strongly promoted, it's backfired because it creates too narrow of immunity and now has allowed Delta to thrive. Now, my experience is Delta is harder to treat and it's more infectious because it's living at far higher viral loads, particularly in the vaccinated. Mm. All right, that brings us to question five then. Can you explain to our audience, for those of us that went to public school, how is it vaccines could make a virus worse um, do you see evidence of antibody-dependent enhancement within the COVID vaccines? And if so, how bad could that get? And what does that mean for the American people? I haven't seen clinically what I would call antibody-dependent enhancement, meaning that the vaccines actually make for an individual person the infection worse. 
I think what the vaccines basically have done is they failed against Delta. Delta has had what achieved what's called antigenic escape. The Delta variant is simply not covered very well at all by the vaccines. And so that's not antigenic escape. It's basically just vaccine failure. The CDC calls it vaccine breakthrough. Either one of those terms is fine. I am concerned, though, if we keep up vaccination uh, indiscriminately, which it looks like we're on the course for, we could invite antibody-dependent enhancement. And we keep, we're keeping tabs on this. You know, there was a story that broke a few weeks ago out of Kentucky of the R1 variant, uh, which spread through a nursing home and fully vaccinated individuals and looked like it was lethal on the spot just about. If we start to have outbreaks like that, I think we're in trouble. Uh, and because we, we've, in a sense, fooled with mother nature, uh, we should have never mass vaccinated right into a pandemic because there's too much prevalent disease around. And we're just inviting a, a new strain of the virus to um, be able to facilitate past the vaccines or potentially even be more virulent. It's just like putting everybody on a narrow spectrum antibiotic, Steve. We would never do that. We'd never put an entire massive population on a narrow spectrum antibiotic. We'll just allow a superbug to develop. Finally, this is kind of a meta question to close this out, doctor. Did, did what we've seen happen to the medical community, did COVID break the medical community or were these systems and machinations already there and, and COVID is kind of what we've seen here happen, kind of the result or harvest of those things? And, and here's why I'm asking this question, because I think it, it kind of gives us an idea for, for those of us that are helped by the medical community, but serve outside of it, live outside of it. It gives us an idea of what comes next after COVID, or frankly, is there ever any next after COVID, or are we just doing some variation of this for the rest of our lives? For the first few months, I thought the medical community was just gripped in fear, and that was the reason why they weren't treating COVID patients. They were, in a sense, waiting for the government to tell them to do something. The medical community has never been asked to respond to a mass casualty situation. And then what happened is practice patterns fell into place of not treating COVID patients, just letting them get sick at home, letting them get hospitalized, and then things became more perverse after that. In fact, there was active efforts to stop treatment of outpatients with COVID, uh, to almost openly encourage hospitalization and to make matters worse. And families have, have actually taken hospitals and, and, and ICU directors and, and um, chief medical officers to court and they've gotten court orders to force them to properly treat patients in the hospital. So we've gotten to a very perverse and distorted place in medicine. The seeds may have been sown with so many corporately employed doctors who have to follow talking orders, otherwise they lose their job. We've lost the independence of physicians. In fact, it's only independent physicians or independent-minded physicians that had the courage to treat COVID-19 and prevent hospitalization and death. And those organizations are thriving now. The Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, the Frontline Critical Care Consortium, American Frontline Doctors, Truth for Health Organization, they have building uh, rosters of doctors who are coming off the sidelines to treat COVID-19. I think the way out of this is to drop the vaccines, drop the vaccine mandates, and have an immediate pivot to early treatment. We're on the way down out of the Delta curve. If we don't vaccinate anymore and we simply start to treat these sick patients, reduce the spread of illness, we can get this down to a low manageable level. If we keep up with this push on vaccination and fail to treat people appropriately, 
I think we're going to have another wave of something. I'm really fearful of what's next. Dr. Peter McCullough, we don't want to take any more of your time. Uh, we, we know we that unlike Anthony Fauci, you actually treat patients. So thank you very much for carving out some time for us today and answering our questions. Brother, God bless you for what you're doing, okay? Okay, thanks, Steve. Go Blue. All right, go Blue. Thank you. I didn't have the heart to tell such an accomplished man I couldn't get into Michigan, and I'm a total Walmart Wolverine. So if you guys don't mind, I'm just going to let him believe that I was capable of actually graduating from that school. You okay with that? What? Thank you. Did you say something? I, I, thank you. He he was on the line there for most of that last oh, little Oh, was street. he? Yeah. Yep. Well, go blue anyway. Okay. So um, let's do this. Let's let's gather our thoughts and sort of reset things. Um, we didn't kind of do the normal hour two intro because we wanted to get Dr. McCullough on here as soon as possible. He literally is, took a 20-minute break between seeing patients to, to talk to us. And, you know, <laughs> there's maybe five, 600 doctors in the country that are willing to treat us early on for COVID and, and that's just, that sounds like a lot and it's, it is a lot. It's just not enough in a nation of 330 million people. So we've got a lot to digest here. So let, let's go back to the beginning. All right. This is the Steve Day show. We're live and on demand here on blaze TV radio and podcast. Let us know what you think about what we think. You can email the program, Steve at Steve That's D E A C E. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve day show. Uh, you can also look for us on MeWe, Parlor, Gab, and Getter. Look for clips of the show that are both uh, free to watch and then free of censorship when you go to rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show. And for those of you that listen to the podcast every day, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you and the huge contribution you've made to the growth of our show. If you have yet to do this, please consider today leaving us a five-star review, hitting the subscribe or follow button, whichever is applicable on whichever podcast platform you prefer. Thank you to all of you that have done one of two, those two things for us already. We are very, very appreciative. We're also appreciative of our friends uh, over at Bambi because we're also uh, small business owners, or at least I am. Um, okay. Uh, but uh, one of the things that can kill you uh, as a small business owner is human resource costs. First of all, a human resource manager, not cheap. Average uh, man salary for a human, an HR manager these days is about uh, $70,000 a year. That's why Bambi was specifically created for small business. And it's spelled just like it sounds. Bam, B as in boy, A-M-B-E-E. -E. Bambi, just like it sounds. All right. You get a dedicated HR manager available by phone email, or real-time chat. They'll help you with everything from onboarding, determinations, customizing policies that fit your particular business, help you manage your employees day-to-day, -day, and it's all done for just 99 bucks a month. And oh, by the way, it's month-to-month. -month. No hidden fees, cancel at any time. Like if you're a seasonal business, for example, and you're coming up on a season where you're not going to be very active, so maybe you don't need to have somebody in-house doing this, Hire Bambi for a few months, $99, or you're just getting started. You're just now adding employees, and you want to make sure all the I's are dotted and T's are crossed, especially with Dementia Joe uh, over there in the White House and running the OSHA right now, right? I mean, take advantage of this. Month to month, just $99 a month, and let Bambi help you by starting with a free human resource audit for you today so they can customize it directly to your small business, all right? Bambi.com, Bam B. Bambi, Bambi.com slash Steve to schedule that free HR audit today at Bambi.com slash Steve. 
So now we transition to fake news or not. And we are going to parlay the interview that we just had with Dr. Peter McCullough. And these were the these were the six questions that we came up with amongst the three of us as the most logical follow-ups to his presentation that we featured on the show last week. Because we could come up with 20 questions for Peter McCullough. He just answered the previous 15 in the presentation that we already aired, right? But then what are follow-up questions? The kinds of questions that those of us who are not medical professionals uh, that can't don't know how to follow the breadcrumbs, we kind of need you to drag us, you know, lead the horse to water there so we will drink it, right? And, and, and make it simple for us. And so these were the six that we came up with to get to a place of certainty for this audience, of which we are a part uh, as well. All right, so for fake news or not, we're going to spend the rest of this hour now looking at each of these six questions, the questions we asked, and then we're going to discuss, gentlemen, Dr. McCullough's answers compared to the conventional wisdoms we are sold by the medical establishment of COVID stand daily, okay? Yep. Let's start with question one. I asked him who should be getting COVID vaccinated right away. Your thoughts on his answer, particularly as it relates to what is predominantly presented in American media by so-called experts? Uh, not, well, not fake news. Uh, he gave the uh, extended track version of my brief elevator speech to you that I've been giving you for a very long time. Stop vaccinating immediately. They're not working uh, he's very scared that we are going to get into a uh, second, uh, another wave because of them. We need to stop doing this because they are causing problems and they aren't solving the ones we think they're solving. Yep, it's true news. I mean, I, I think he went further than I would have expected. I expected him to say, you know, if, if you're over the age of 65, you yeah, can consider it. I expected, I expected him too. to say that, but now yeah. he's saying nothing whatsoever. And it's completely congruent with the rest of his views on these vaccines because he said later in the interview that he assumed that those over the age of 65 and critical or nursing care homes and nursing uh, home workers, they would be the ones to get it. He did not anticipate them uh, and, and uh, vaccinating, you know, half the planet here. And, uh, you know, he, he went into detail about that as well. So he went further than what I would uh, what I would have expected him, but it's still true news nonetheless. Let's throw another shrimp on the barbie here. Let's add something to the discussion. If Anthony Fauci were forced to react to what Peter McCullough just said to that question. And we might do this with every one of these questions, frankly. If Anthony Fauci were forced to react to Dr. McCullough's answer to that question, what do you think he'd say? Oh, he would just uh, demonize him personally, but in very uh, general terms. So, you know, this is, so he would have to demagogue him. You, yes. think, you think that the evidence, there's such a they lack were, of yeah. evidence that he couldn't even fashion a spin he just have to go right to demagoguery that, that peter mccullough we just saw was the exact same peter mccullough we saw with a script in front of him for a much longer speech and even you steve sometimes mm-hmm. as good as you, you just have so you can keep a train yeah, of thought because i'm especially but, if i'm presenting slides for but, example but that peter mccullough is just riffing he know it's all in here he knows it without a doubt this is not some sort of pose all right so all you would have is demagoguing you i mean my goodness 
the Anthony Fauci that we all know has no choice but to do that. He's the guy who can't, you know, he can't get straight on what he thinks about Christmas this time of around. He is the guy that when asked, why do people who have recovered from COVID still need to get vaccinated for it? I don't have a real good yes. answer on that. Yes. That was his answer. I know. And that, that duty is not America's leading infectious disease expert for nothing, folks. He would just go from the vast majority of the medical field, the one that we addressed in the last question, and that's why. So the appeal to authority fallacy? Yeah, yes. Okay. Yes. Aaron, what do yeah, you think? I, I, don't, I don't know if we necessarily need to do this for every, <clears throat> excuse me, for every question, because we know how Fauci reacts. It would be just like this rare, for every question. It would think. be just like this for every question. We should re-rack someday, someday soon. We should re-rack that Mexican comedian's yeah. interview with Anthony Fauci because that that would give us a window. A Mexican com- comedian would give us a window into into how he would respond. What does it say then? Because as soon as you said that, Aaron, I'm like, you know what? You're right. He would he would just do what you suggested, mm-hmm. Todd. In contrast to all of these things. Some vague talking yeah, points. What, what do you think that means? That the most powerful man in America now, for the end of the previous administration in the White House and the beginning of the current one. And vis-a-vis, if you're the most powerful man in America, you are at the very least one of the most powerful men in all of the world, right? Mm-hmm. What do you think it means that if presented with a contrarian view of the science and the data... All three of us believe he would offer not even attempts to spin the data to his own narrative, but would just skip right to flat out political demagoguery instead. What do you think that says about what the hell's been going on in this country for the last 19 months? Political science, not actual science. It's a real life Orwell novel. It's the full Orwell. Hence, hashtag make Orwell fiction again. Yeah. All right. Let's go to question two. I asked Dr. McCullough, what's the benign explanation for this zealous desire to pounce on, discredit, and if that doesn't work, just flat out ignore um, absolutely anything that shows potential as an early treatment for COVID-19? Folks, and when he says he's treating patients via telemed today, that's what he's doing. He's going through early treatment protocols, whether it's ivermectin, whether it's hydroxychloroquine or various other uh, protocols and and. Um, you know, that are out there and, and treatments that are out there. That's what he's doing today as a one of the leading cardiovascular experts in the country. Academically, he's treating patients like if he were an internist. All right. So what do you think of his answer to this question? Well, both this and the next one about immunity, there's some overlap. And again, it points directly at the magical power uh, of vaccines through and through. You, you, you don't have a course in uh, med school about vaccination. You just accept it. Mm-hmm. You just do, really. It is. Uh, uh, ask any doctor. They'll tell you. That, Similar you how in law school you don't actually get taught the yeah. Constitution, no, but just, opinions of it. So this this is, uh, th- and this is what I've been talking about this whole time, that there is just a taken for grantedness about the power of this. And if there's such a take, then it only makes sense that well, uh, these are so obviously good and who of course so if we get make some money off it that can't be bad either because this we're healers it's the same thing about the good intentions of teachers in school you you can't criticize a teacher they're your purrs the driven snow can't call the media enemy of the people no you can't do that this yeah. is he's but he's telling you in both cases they really want to make some money selling this vaccine Aaron can you give me a list of great scientific achievements that were accomplished via taking things for granted. Go. Hmm. Not off the top of my head. It's going to be a real short list. Yeah. Right. 
Okay. Hey, Todd says, just briefly before we go to break here, Todd says the magical thinking of vaccines. And of, of course, that's what underpins in a macro sense all of this. Uh, in this sense, in this case in, in particular, with the public policy, health policy that, that, that we're dealing with here, it's, it's the circular thinking of vaccines. Why would you want or be worried about early treatments for COVID-19 when there's right. a vaccination? Well, if the vaccine works, why would I need early treatment? You know, that, that type of thing uh, is pervasive, at least in the public policies. Hey, uh, why spectrum. I need to stop having unprotected gay sex? They've got a drug. I, yeah. I don't have to work out and lose weight. They just mm-hmm. give me a vaccine. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what we're talking sure. about? Yeah. So we're talking about sick care, not oh, health care. Yes. yes. All right. More That's in a moment. the money is. More in a moment. You know, it's never easy to try and sell your home, but especially in these unprecedented times. Ding. Yeah. Think it might be a little challenging to try to sell your home right now? It's a little challenging to try to do anything (laughs) right now. All right. That's why you want to make sure if indeed you are brave enough to go once more unto the breach, dear friends. Uh, do so with a real estate agent that you can trust. And you might say, Steve, that's easy for you to say. Where would I find such a person? After all, when I go on the website of my local real estate companies, they don't like rank their agents. They don't like tell us, dude, don't go with that chick. Dude, that dude's brutal. Totally lazy. Don't do that. They don't like tell you that up front, do they? No. No. And all their bios. It's amazing. Like every real estate agent in every town has won an award. Have you noticed that? Whenever you go online and like shop, like everybody's won an award. I mean, they must just be handing these things out like candy for real estate agents. Everybody's got an award. My truth, their truth. It could be. It just made up your award, yeah. right? I, I, You know what? I identify as an award winner. Yeah, don't judge. Yeah. I mean, right now we have a dude who, who's a mentally ill dude who I guess thinks he's a woman is now the first four-star admiral to serve in the, in the military or in the Navy or something, right? That Ron Levine or whatever his name is from Pennsylvania, that uh, you know, that picture of health that uh, Dementia Joe. Yep. And I, I got to cut Dementia Joe some slack. I mean, when it goes, it goes. And, you know, that cerebellum probably just can't make out whether it's Ron or Rachel any longer. He's kind of taking things for granted at this point. Don't right? you criti- criticize his devout Catholicism like that. Well, you could, since you put it that way, indeed. All right, so... Whether you are as devoutly Catholic as Joe Biden or not, they can find a real estate agent that you can trust on this website. Name kind of says it all. Head to realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, realestateagentsitrust.com. Just about anywhere. I don't want to like give you a blanket promise that, hey, I want to move to Kathmandu. I don't know if we've got an agent there for you. All right. But just about anywhere that you'd want to move to here within the United States anyway, we can probably find you an agent that you could trust at realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, let's continue on here on Fake News or Not, going back through the interview we just did with Dr. Peter McCullough, all right, and contrasting his answers. And and as I've pointed out before, we've shared his bio numerous times, guys, this is one of the most one of the most decorated cardiovascular experts in this country prior to COVID. And because he stuck with the same scientific instincts that made him that individual, post-COVID, he's now blacklisted. 
believe me, Dr. Pina McCola did not get into this to do interviews on the Steve Day Show. All right? We got into this to do interviews at the Journal of American Medical Association and, and the New England Journal of Medicine and the New York Academy of Sciences lecture series, all of which are places that he has previously been featured, correct? Correct. Like, no one is sitting in med school right now saying, man, I really hope I can get on the Steve Day Show on The Blaze. No one's doing that, right? It's like there's no pastors like, man, I really just want a really strong neighborhood church, about 60, 70 people that are just like totally sold out and devoted and want to serve their community. Anybody doing that right now in seminary? Probably not, right? Okay. So why is he talking to us? Because his peer group doesn't want to talk to him. So he's moving where the food is. He's even he's even treating patients. Feed my sheep. Yep, which you don't typically see once somebody has ascended to a certain academic level, like St. Anthony Fauci. They don't have to get their hands dirty anymore. But now he's rolling up his sleeves and doing just old-fashioned doctor stuff because people are dying and they don't have to. So let's contrast what, what, what he's telling us, both from his original expertise academically, working safety for the FDA and the CDC, and now what he sees practically getting his hands dirty treating COVID-19. All right, number three, we asked him what was the benign explanation for the wanton and willful disregard and ignoring of natural immunity. Aaron, I'll start with you this time. What did you think of his answer here? Because the the answer was essentially, if we acknowledge that, then fewer people will get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. That's that's the benign explanation. And and by the way, the last two answers, the benign explanation for denying early treatments and downplaying them, the benign explanation for uh, not taking into account natural immunity, <clears throat> those benign explanations are really not that benign. Again, the, the circular thinking of, of COVID vaccinations here. Um, it, it, I'm sorry. You just told us what we're doing for Theology Thursday, and I'm looking ahead, and I'm, I'm thinking about this as I'm giving the answer. That's a teaser for you. Because it ties you. right into this it conversation. Ties into this, it yeah. ties into this conversation. That's a teaser for you tomorrow. You're going to need some more keeps uh, for that. Uh, but it, <laughs> it, it, is, it is quite fascinating. Um, everything starts and ends with the vaccine. Like there is no other thing other than the vaccine. It is within things. It is uh, in, in all things and through things and before all things and in all things. That that's the. It's like it is the God here. So yeah, it, it could be simple greed from the people pulling the strings and their buddies on on K Street who works for 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 big pharma. It, it's some for, some combination of of greed and just uh, will to power is basically what that answer is. Oh my goodness, Aaron, you are so over the target. You know, I've said before about how here we are uh, with uh, transgenderism, uh, and we're, it's like that um, the theory of the expansion of the universe, and that ultimately that c- expansion will stop and it will cave in on itself. Well, here we have uh, all of human history, and it apparently caving in on itself back to the very beginning. Because yeah, as as long as we've had um, abortion, but that's Cain and Abel. Before that, we had created male and female in His image. So we're back even further, all the way at the beginning. It is good, that ultimate good, mm-hmm. right there at the beginning. Aaron's point about it is a God, all the way back at the beginning. I've had these conversations with a lot of women, especially because they would often come to to me when they heard about uh, how we raised our children in this and, and natural childbirth and other aspects. And I'll tell you what, amongst the Christians of them, 
the level of fear that was inside of them, if it came down to, if you had to choose between baptizing your child and vaccinating them, they'd, they'd say, oh, well, they got to get vaccinated. Trust me on this. This thing goes so deep. This is spiritual, whether people understand it or not. There's no question that it is. There's, there's, no, there's no question that it is. I mean, these are Molochian, Chamashian, Baal-esque levels of, of, of idolatry and demonic deception. And there's again, no question. Just to be there's clear. There's no question that's true. We're not living in Haiti, okay? Yeah. If your kid's born in Haiti... We're, we're not even ha- we're not even yeah. actually even having a conversation really about the true effectiveness of no. an individual vaccine no. program or even these vaccines. Happy to have that conversation. We're really talking about the the magical thinking, as you put it, the aspirational thinking, the 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 the, the level of hope put into them as if they are something more. They're they're elixirs. They're Jack's beans. There, there, there's, mm-hmm. there's something more than a medical tool and a device. There's something. It's more than the cl- a club in your in your bag. It's the it's the only club in your bag. You won't need a putter. You don't need a sand wedge. You don't need a pitching wedge. You just pull out the golden vaccine, and it doesn't matter if you're 300 yards away from the cup or you're eight feet away. It the the ball just goes in every single time. That's what we're talking about. Yes, it is. All right. I asked him about Delta being uniquely bad. I don't have to go back over the data. Our, our audience has heard this from me a million times, but I, I cited data that showed the virus is worse this time of year now compared to last year when we didn't have anybody vaccinated. And I wanted him to explain it. What'd you think of his explanation? Oh, great stuff. Because he talked, we've talked about on the show just last week, I think. And I said, there's, there were always variants there were a multitude of variants about this thing he said and and we keep being told like oh but delta but delta that delta and he he he's not having any of that delta is not u- uniquely bad in some sort of original sense and that's really really until we're honest about that we'll be fooled about anything because just that's the latest monster in the closet it's 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 not something uh, that was inevitable or or was a unique product of uh, the pre-vaccine world. Yeah, I, I think th- this is helpful to think about. So on the individual case-by-case basis, Delta variant uh, does not tend to get worse. This is something that's difficult even for me to articulate sometimes. Delta may be worse from an epidemiological standpoint in terms of the spread. Again, I keep harping back size of the pie, slice of the pie, that argument, because the pie epidemia, the, the pie is getting bigger with Delta for whatever reason. Um, but in terms of the clinical, as, as Dr. McCullough put it, the clinical level, uh, not necessarily a worse form of, of the disease. So this is where evolution comes in. And I know in the circles we run in, that can be a dirty word, all right? To me, evolution and Darwinism are not, are, can be mutually distinctive. Darwinism, in my opinion, is, is essentially what we were just talking about with vaccination. That I need this to be more than a scientific explanation or solution. I need it to be a metaphysical one. I, I need it. I need it. I need it to be a foundation for my worldview and my understanding of ethics and morality and purpose. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. And and so Darwinism is a creation myth for God haters because every religion needs a creation story. And so Darwinism is theirs. Evolution, however, 
at least on a small E level, it's very clear that it is the principle by which much of our understanding of how the natural world operates, operates. For example, the fact that we were created in God's image and given souls, all right, would indicate we would be at the highest level of the natural selection order because we have the ability to do things that lions who could who can tear us apart and bears limb from limb cannot do. And what is that? Reason and think. So we can come up with habitats and weapons and those sorts of things that disrupt their evolutionary superiority, right? Mm-hmm. Because we have been given a, a, an imago day that they do not have. The reason viruses tend to go from pandemic to endemic they evolve that way to survive. They don't do that because they're like, you know, man, we've infected enough. We've, we're satiated here. We're good. No, because a virus cannot do what? Reason. Doesn't have any empathy. A lion may have just killed nine antelope in the Serengeti, puked up what, what it couldn't digest, and fed it to the rest of their pups, the rest of their cubs, right? An hour later, an injured antelope comes streaming across the prairie. Does the, does the lion sit there and say, you know what, man? I got my hand. I'm Al Bundy. I got my, hand, my paw down my pants. I'm watching the game. We're going to let it slide today. I've had enough to eat. Is that what the lion does? Probably not. No, it pounces because instinct takes over. It's driven by instinct, not by reason and empathy. It's driven by instinct. And so that, this will be the 10th kill of the day because it's there. That's my instinct. That's what I do. That's what a virus is. A virus evolves into an endemic one in order to survive. It doesn't want to die out. A virus is a survival instinct, a survival mechanism. So when it, when it, when it evolves to a lesser degree, it is to survive. It is to find a place within the ecos, within the natural habitat, where it can remain. If a virus is evolving into something superior... It's because it recognizes that our attempts to counteract it ain't that dog ain't gonna hunt. Like it like it's not going to voluntarily downgrade itself. If it appears to be serious, it's because your attempts to attack it aren't serious. See what I'm trying to say? Yes. Yeah, that's why that's why he said he wasn't and to skip to the next question. That's why he said he wasn't quite ready yet to go to antibody dependent enhancement, but he left the door open for it. Because what he's really saying is we're violating, this is the, what's his name? Geert Bosch, is that who I'm thinking of? Geert Van den Bosch. Bosch. This is his theory. That, that it's not antibody-dependent enhancement, but this is, we're violating evolutionary law. We have presented a flawed, weak, ineffective vaccination product mm-hmm. to a virus. And so it's, it's not that it's so much stronger as much as our attempts to come at it are so weak that it appears to be stronger because we keep injecting people with a bunch of things in order to thwart it, but it doesn't thwart it at all. It's the same virus that it already was. That's his theory. And then if you, but that if you continue doing that, that eventually then it's not the virus that will evolve and weaken, it's the vaccines that will do it. And that's when you get to antibody-dependent enhancement. And you do take the next step now of, the, of what your attempts to vaccinate a virus do now evolution, serve its evolutionary purpose and strengthen it and make it more virulent at the same time. Does that make sense? Because I'm not even sure I totally understand it. But that's my best attempt to explain it. I'm well, kind of in the same bo- It sounded like with that answer, he had a different understanding or we had a different understanding of ADE. Uh, at least on some level uh, or a different per- preconception of it than than maybe what he was thinking about ADE um, because he's he's using terms like um, 
uh, what was it? Viral escape. Path- pathogenic pathogenic escape. escape. Thank yeah, you. Which seemed to be like a step before we get yeah, to that. Exactly. Which, which, which is a technical term. I took it as your vaccine sucks. Exactly. And so well, it's that's in a, totally ineffective. Yeah, breakthrough yeah. cases. Yes. Yeah. But all of that boiled down is why several weeks back, and I think a little bit to the surprise of probably the audience, maybe even you a little bit, when I said I, I was uh, skeptical, I wasn't ready yet to say that things are getting uh, worse. I needed a little bit more time. And then a couple of weeks later, I said, I think it is getting a little bit worse. And I was looking for it dipping down into different uh, age def- demographics. But really what... What the, listen, it, it, this is Rahm Emanuel territory. Never let a good crisis go to waste. They don't want a virus that's going to kill everybody. They do want a problem that never goes away. Yes. And that's at the very least yes. what we definitely have mm-hmm. because of the vaccines. That's and See, this is why we have to stop mass vaccination, because we'll get the answer to this question. All right. Is it that, is it that the vaccines suck or is it that we have antibody dependent enhancement? We have no way of knowing this. Unless we stop mass vaccination. And if we don't stop mass vaccination, then you end up creating a self-fulfilling prophecy where you get to antibody-dependent enhancement. Because even if you're not at it now, you keep injecting more and more people with an ineffective product up against a virus that sees no need to to endemic itself or lessen itself up against your weak attempts to thwart it. Think of it this way. When I talk about one of the problems with vaccination, when Steve and I were vaccinated as kids... It was like a total of 10 to 13. Now it's up to between 30 and 40. And all the adjuvants that are in, sooner or later, there's just a critical mass in some kids and you get autism. Think of it that way. When does that damn break? Yes. We have 30 seconds. His last answer on the medical system he's devoted his life to and still does. I sensed sensed a tinge of disappointment in, in the tone of his response that he originally tried to give him a benefited it out and then realized, no, this thing's just given over. You know what I think? They've been preaching a a faulty religion instead of uh, care to human beings for a long time. And I know you that from your personal life on some level as well. Mm -hmm. All right, we're sticking around to the overtime for Blaze TV subscribers. For the rest of you, back at it again tomorrow, noon to 2 Eastern after Glenn Beck. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.